We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good morning, White Sox fans, or good evening for those that are listening to this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. You know, the funny thing about podcasting is that sometimes you record an episode, and while you're in the middle of editing that episode, uh, you get bombshell reports that break. We recorded this episode before Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com and ESPN 1000 AM in Chicago released his story after interviewing Keenan Middleton to get his thoughts before the White Sox and Yankees series this week that starts on Monday on what was wrong with the Chicago White Sox. Man, it is a bombshell report and really deserves its own podcast episode to speak through, but it's really late at night when I'm recording this. So listen to this episode. We talk about Tim Anderson. We do talk about Pedro Grafal's response to the Tim Anderson, Jose Ramirez fight. We talk about what happened in Cleveland. Yoan Makata's back and preview this week's Yankees White Sox series. But go to SoxMachine.com for the instant analysis from Jim and his reaction to what happened. And Jim and I will do a live stream before the White Sox and Yankees game tonight uh, as we should be getting more details and more reactions from the Chicago White Sox about this damning report. So enjoy this episode. More to come. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, August 7th, 2023, as we bring you a new episode. Gee, I wonder what we're going to talk about. As Elton John would say, Saturday night's all right for fighting. With Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez squaring off, what do we make of this brouhaha in Cleveland? We'll discuss later in the show, but the White Sox won the series in Cleveland and clinched the season series against the Guardians. There's some good baseball to actually talk about. Then there's Yoan Makata's back issue, which I'm very concerned about. The New York Yankees are coming into town and will introduce a new feature for the remaining of this season with our MLB Series of the Week, the teams and the games outside of the White Sox we are most interested in. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Argulis, and hello, Jim. 
move over Robin Ventura. Tim Anderson is now joining you living in infamy of baseball fights. Yeah. And like with Ventura, he stayed on his feet. He kept his legs moving. He kept driving. (laughs) Eventually Ryan went to the ground. Like it didn't start well, but yeah, it didn't, I wouldn't say it ended well either, but like he stood his ground. Anderson did not stand or stay up. It was not good. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your instant reaction? I know you wrote about this topic on SoxMachine.com in your Sunday column. Getting to sleep on it again and let it, it linger and watch another White Sox game. Like, how do you feel about what transpired Saturday night? It's it's not good uh, for a lot of reasons, like specific to him. Like one, it's sad just because like a couple of years ago, you think of the Field of Dreams game, you think about change the game, you think about like all of the on-field uh, controversies that were not his fault, like Brad Keller throwing at him because he pimped a homer and how outdated that looked like once, you know, other guys started flipping bats. And, you know, realizing like, oh, he was just the first of, you know, and not even the first of the people to do it, but just like, you know, he got targeted. Funny how that is. Same thing with like the Josh Donaldson comments. Like one of the unfortunate byproducts of this whole, you know, Jose Ramirez fight is that like people were talking about the Jackie comments again and like siding with, there's no reason to agree with Josh Donaldson on that. Like there's, if you find yourself agreeing with Josh Donaldson, don't like that is a new baseball law. By yeah, the way, folks, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, if it's not about hitting, that's about it. But like, you know, there are just so many things specific to him that were like, you know, he was a lightning rod, but, you know, he should have been on the good side of it. Or in the case of like, you know, the Donald's, I don't know if there was a good side of the Donaldson thing, but just in terms of like empathetic side of it, like, oh, he's just a guy trying to go about business his own way, which is slightly different from the way other people go about his business, you know, but it still should fit in this wonderful game we call baseball. But now, you know, like the year he's had the off the field stuff he's had and talked about. And just now this, and you know, like I was reading his Twitter comments or trying to read them afterwards. And like, I don't expect to understand Anderson's like tweets just because like, you know, not only for, demographic reasons or like, you know, that, you know, just we don't necessarily speak the same language or vernacular, but also like, I think he sometimes speaks in like AOL instant messenger away message form. (laughs) Like, you know, or like you see it in Facebook too, just like, you know, what's wrong or, you know, what do you mean? Like trying to stoke in, you know, spark interest and like, and, and I just, yeah, that's not really the way I communicate. And so I just, I look at it and go like, huh, yeah. All right. You know, whatever that is. Um, but like in this case, just like, I don't know if he's like got the personality or like the demeanor, maybe this is just catching him in a bad time to like roll with it. Like Robin Ventura could more or less shrug it off. Like we saw him shrug a lot when he was the manager, but just like he had a very kind of blase personality and just like, yeah, you know, I guess that's what people remember you for. Like, and then, you know, he had a lot of grand slams and had some other moments and like he had a you know, near hall of fame career. If his ankle didn't blow up on him, like he might've been a hall of famer, but like, you know, that's something he lives with. Like he gets the, he sees the photos and such. He's just like, yeah, that's me. And he shrugs and you know, I don't know if Anderson has that gear to, to shrug it off. And so like, I don't think this is necessarily going to define him. Like I thought about the Jose Bautista thing and like 
you know, he did absorb Rugnet Odor's haymaker mm-hmm. and then knocked his glasses off. I'm like, yeah, he, he, he squared up and he took one, you know, a vicious shot. But also he had the bat flip at Rogers Center. And right. so, like, you know, if you're a big enough personality, you can define yourself in a lot of different ways. But, you know, Anderson just, you know, the year he's having, and hopefully this is not like a, a permanent fixed trajectory he's on to where it's just like down, 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 or he's just going to be, uh, you know, just hanging out at his nadir for a while. But, you know, if it is like this, it's just unfortunate because like this could have been, yeah, you know, and, and in a way it mirrors the White Sox rebuilding hopes or the contention window as a whole, like this should have been cool. And now it's miserable. And even like White Sox fans, like not necessarily taking his side in this one. And partially because of the year he's having, like if you were hitting 350, you know, I think a lot more people have his back and that's, you know, just what have you done for me lately? But also like if you square up and you get knocked down, like, yeah, and Ramirez kind of started the fight. I think they're both, you know, culpable, especially like in, in another case too, of like, we don't exactly know, we know the White Sox side because Pedro Grafal didn't talk about it and Anderson hasn't talked about it. So like, we're going off what the Guardian said, but like, if you maybe don't start it, but escalate it and then you get knocked down, like that's just, you did kind of ask for it a little bit or you invited it. You invited the possibility of suffering viral humiliation so there is a bit of just like well what'd you expect or that was the risk you took on and it's sad that we're talking about this and it's sad that it's gotten this just sad so i have a lot of reactions one i follow a lot more white Sox twitter accounts than you jim i would disagree that white Sox fans have not taken a stance i think some white Sox fans especially on twitter have taken very strong stances in either direction and uh, I don't know if it's blown up on your replies, especially like on the column that you wrote in Sox Machine. But if I mentioned like Tim Anderson or even Yohan Makata lately, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about Makata later in the show, like it could be really, really harsh on what people think about Anderson and Makata. I'm getting a lot of toxic being used to describe Tim Anderson. And I don't necessarily think that's fair. My thoughts about what happened, one, I am getting a kick out of the memes on the internet. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I know you shared this tweet in your column, but one of my favorite comedians is Roy Wood Jr. from The Daily Show. And when he tweeted, the Alabama coalition will not be offering a statement on the Tim Anderson fight. Please respect our privacy as a state at this time. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious because Roy's from Birmingham. Uh, and uh, obviously Tim nearby in Tuscaloosa. But as this story continued to unfold afterwards the aftermath is what's gaining my attention Mm -hmm. according to daryl van scout of the chicago sun times tim anderson was not even on the bench for sunday's game he showed up to the stadium and returned to the team hotel before sunday's first pitch so even though pedro grafal said during the peacock broadcast that tim anderson would be available pedro grafal lied he covered up for his player No, Anderson was never going to be available because Anderson, according to the report for the Chicago Sun-Times, was back at the team hotel. And in that same recap, Mm -hmm. Van Scowen wrote, a three-run ninth inning capped a 5-3 win on Sunday. No, win it for Tim sentiments were heard. Just, quote, win it and get out of here, said Jimmy Lambert, who recorded his first save. And that's what we did. 
So there's a lot of White Sox fans. I even saw some instant comments what happened on Saturday that people think that this could be a rally cry, and I want to get to that in a moment. But then Jose Ramirez and his take on the whole situation. If you haven't been reading or hearing what Jose Ramirez is saying, and most of this is in Spanish, really catches my attention because I did not know that Ramirez had this type of grudge against Tim Anderson. And I didn't know. Like, we know Kansas City's got a grudge on Tim Anderson. We know Mm -hmm. Kansas City does not like Tim Anderson. But I did not know Cleveland really doesn't like Tim Anderson. And what Jose Ramirez has to say is really sharp criticism. He recently said, quote, This game has to be played fair. Everyone is here with a purpose to do their job. Here, each player stays to help their family, and it is ugly that someone gets injured by another to be playing dirty, and it's something he's, and he's being Tim Anderson, but doing for a long time, and I have to protect my teammates. So that's a strong accusation from Jose Ramirez to Tim Anderson, (laughs) and then more from the Cleveland point of view, Zach Meisel, the athletic, when he wrote in his column, uh, after the game on Sunday that Noah Syndergaard noticed when he joined the Guardians in the trade that there's already some discord between the clubs and some hatred. And I guess from Cleveland's perspective, they took offense, Jim, to Anderson pushing um, the third baseman for the Guardians. I'm already forgetting his name, the rookie. He made two throwing errors. Rokio. Rokio, thank you. So on Friday, Rokio got his hand pushed by Anderson on a tag. And on replay, they still said that he was out. And Terry Francona got ejected on Friday night. And Francona got ejected again on Saturday. Anderson was chirping at Gabriel Arias early in Saturday's game, according to Cleveland's bench. And there's actually visual evidence to back this up. Because I noticed in the television broadcast at NBC Sports Chicago, they caught the first base umpire approaching Tim Anderson between innings. And Pedro Grafal had to intervene. So... There was already umpires talking to Anderson early in Saturday's game about something. And that's what Cleveland was saying after the fact is that Anderson's chirping at our players. So when you add in all the internet memes and the TikToks with the wrestling announcers, uh, Tim Anderson is a pretty popular guy right now in social media. And I agree with you, Jim. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple years ago, Anderson laughs this off because he's going to make a highlight in a couple of days that will draw your attention. But that's not how 2023 is going for Anderson. And as you also pointed out, this is not the first time that he's created a firestorm on social media, especially this year. But when it comes to baseball fights and just the discourse on social media and all media forms, really, they're weird to me because so often people want to make them more than what they really are. Like it's a rally cry. Mm-hmm. And I used to believe that, Jim, but I learned over our 10 years podcasting together the captains of attitude in 2015, mm-hmm. the tussles with Kansas City, even with Anderson spat with Brad Keller. It didn't change much in terms of results on the field. Sure, it adds more bad blood between the clubs and the White Sox and Guardians rivalry is more awake than it was a year ago. But now I think we're all waiting to see on how long the suspension is going to be for Tim Anderson, another league suspension, mm-hmm. and he might miss the entire Yankees series. I think a lot of people have, or at least I remember, the 2000 White Sox-Tigers brawl where in the aftermath when Jerry Manuel suspended like he was the bellhop at a hotel uh, when they went on that road trip and they swept Cleveland and New York. And just like that's, I think, what everybody has in mind for 
everybody's going to rally around this moment. Everybody's, you know, fired up and united with the same cause. And uh, this is when the winning starts. And, you know, that was probably the 99th percentile outcome of a brawl uh, in 2000. But yeah, as you mentioned, just it's, I think the effects are, you know, it's, it's all just probably hindsight based or like, you know, if they go to win, you can point to it. If they don't, then you can just say like, Oh, that fight didn't matter. And things blow up. You can say like, Oh, I guess they were just frustrated. Um, yeah. To me, it's just not knowing the white Sox perspective. Like that's, I think the most troubling thing or not hearing one. Um, you know, Jose Ramirez, like when he, you know, speaking of Josh Donaldson, when he brings up like, you know, we're all trying to provide for our families. Like that reminds me of Josh Donaldson complaining about home plate umpire calls saying like, oh, you know, we got guys trying to make a living out here. They're taking food out of our mouths. Just like rolling my eyes. Just, you know, whenever somebody brings that up, I think that just, it, they got mortgages to pay. Yeah. <laughs> just a wee bit dramatic <laughs> when you start bringing in like, you know, providing for families over the course of just like a, a baseball fight. Well, it could be a different perspective from the yeah, a little bit, but I mean like still just, you know, it's, uh, we're not liking the way the guy plays, you know, when, when he's not on your team or he's not taking a job away from you. Like it's just, you know, he's annoying. It, it, that's, it strikes me as like, I need a f- little bit more evidence to connect somebody being annoying, even profoundly annoying in another dugout uh, versus like not, you know, risking food being on your table on the other side. Like Anderson, like that was a cheap play, I guess. So he knocked the hand off, but he also got the call. You know, it's kind of like working the refs a little bit, you know, unlike, you know, spiking a guy like AJ Pruszynski was dirty. Um, you know, I, I think the, um, you know, the, the knocking the hand away was cheap. But yeah, like in, in the tag that, you know, Ramirez came in, like he slid hard. It seemed like, you know, Anderson might have whacked him on the head a little bit, bringing the tag down because I think, but I mean, like that was a case where like had there not been maybe any pre-existing bad blood, that would have been just like, oh, he's just trying to get a quick tag down, got my head as I was coming through. Uh, but because of all the stuff and with, you know, Arias too, like, as you mentioned with the chirping, you know, that's something that the guardians mentioned, but like Anderson wasn't available for comment. Griffal didn't comment, which I thought was, you know, another example of him not being great at communicating, not being great at communicating to your team's fans about what he yeah, saw. Why, why, why do you think he didn't say anything on Saturday? Like, why was he very Han-like, very lawyer-like in his post-game comments Saturday. I don't know. Like, you know, I saw people saying, oh, he must not, you know, he must be tired of Tim too if he's not defending him. But I wonder if that's just ascribing too much credit to him. Like, he just might not be good at communicating. Like, he's, (laughs) like, to the the public. Like, his public-facing comments, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Like, I don't think he's good at talking to fans. Like, or, or understanding like what the public needs to hear in his role as like the guy who talks to the media every day. And like the same thing with like, you know, kind of, you know, seems like lying about uh, Anderson's availability. Like, you know, you know, people on the outside, you know, are logging this in terms of like wondering what they can believe from you. And like, you know, Terry Francona is holding court in his media conference and, you know, he's able to give his whole side and he's able to say that, you know, the fight is not funny while listing everything about the fight that was funny and then saying it's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, 
It's not funny that his pants fell down and he fell into a big pail of water and got soaked and then rolled around with the bucket stuck on his head. It's not funny that the bucket was stuck on his head and then he rolled, you know, <laughs> into, uh, you know, just a, a, a pile of manure. Again, not funny. <laughs> like that was basically <laughs> like Terry Francona's stance, like taking the high road, but absolutely not like indulging every, you know, a, a lot of details he was savoring. Um, you know, Griffal did not do that. Like he could have, you know, even, even he could have gone with the passive aggressive or like the vague, like, you know, they know what they did, but just like, there's nothing. And like, so, you know, when it comes to fans of a team who are frustrated with that team and frustrated with players of the team, that's a case where like, it doesn't help Anderson also doesn't help Griffal just doesn't help anybody. And like, that that's why I, I don't, you know, maybe he's fed up with him. I don't know, but also like just, this was one case where Griffal had the opening to say something interesting and he just passed. And like, I don't, yeah, like maybe he had a purpose for saying it, but also like this has been now our fifth month with Griffal and he just doesn't have anything to say most of the time. And this could just be a bug, not a feature of just, uh, you know, him, not being cut out for this job, like him being cut out for a team where, uh, you know, maybe he, he would have been better in a, in a case where like baseball is always front and center and the baseball is a respectable product. And he can just talk about the lineup that day or the pitching change that day. But when everything's going wrong and you have to have like some kind of ability to draw attention or redirect attention or, um, you know, absorb some criticism and, or, you know, redirect some criticism towards a player deserves Like he just, he's, he's just blank. Like he's just kind of a nullity in that regard. And I don't like, I, I, at some point you just had to say like, that's who he is until he provides something different. I laughed when you said that he might be a bad communicator because it's like, how did you get the job? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean like that's, I think he's going to talk in probably, you know, uh, baseball, like, X's nose, like he's probably good at talking about that stuff I, in terms of like yeah. the soft skills and the public facing skills, uh, which might not come up in an interview, especially if the White Sox have no idea how to conduct interviews or doing this for the first time. Like maybe there are questions they didn't ask because they've never done this before. <laughs> they've never had a real process. Well, Griffal has been a broken record about working on the fundamentals and everything that I... I would buy the idea that he's having a tough time communicating what adjustments that he needs his team, his roster to actually do. Uh, some are heeding it. Some are not. And this has been a question for months now. Who is actually buying into what Grafal is trying to sell inside the clubhouse? Cause it's not everyone. And some of the guys that were definitely not buying are no longer with the team because they've been traded. But back to Tim Anderson real quick. I think because the discourse publicly can get quite heated mm -hmm. no matter what side that you're on, whether defending Tim Anderson or joining Cleveland fans and piling on Tim Anderson. I guess I'm trying to pick the middle road because I think this is much ado about nothing. Mm -hmm. Anderson has been performing a lot better since the all-star break. He's hitting 317 with the 372 on base percentage folks. That's really good. He's slugging 392. He's had 25 hits since the All-Star break. 21 of them are singles. And the one home run he hit was off a 90-mile-per-hour pitch from a lefty. Like, the power's just not there. And even though he's hitting a lot better, it's not helping his season numbers a whole lot 
His weighted runs created plus is 59, which is still the worst weighted runs created plus for hitters qualified for the batting title. Anderson is two points behind Javier Baez. And there's the contract option. He may not even be part of the 2024 White Sox team, Jim. Mm -hmm. Anderson could either have that option picked up and he's traded this offseason, which we may see a lot of that in the Sox machine offseason plan project, or the White Sox could decline that option. So people are feeling like this is the moment that Tim Anderson needs my support. We got to rally around Tim Anderson. Man, I don't even know if the entire White Sox clubhouse is going to rally around Tim Anderson. I don't even know if his teammates, everyone in that locker room is rallying around Tim Anderson. Remember when Tim Anderson got the all-star nod and it felt like a country club and he just sat there in his chair and there was barely any any excitement, any celebration for being in the all-star mm-hmm. game? Like... Things have just been weird the last couple of years yeah. when it's involved. But he did hit that homer. Like when he hit his first homer, like he got a rousing celebration in the dugout. So, I mean, like that's, a, I guess, a counterpoint. Yes. I, like five of them celebrated. Yes, there are some that will definitely have Tim Anderson's back. Elvis Andrews has Tim Anderson's back as he tries to step up and be the leader. But with this fight in Cleveland, because it's like the biggest topic regarding the White Sox since the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. My hope is that this is not the last impact memory of Anderson with the White Sox. Like, I want one more great memory from Tim Anderson if this season is truly the last of Anderson with the White Sox. I do think a lot of White Sox fans can delete this punch and just replay the Field of Dreams walk-off homer over and over again. But non-White Sox fans, especially fans who do not like Tim Anderson, Mm -hmm. they're not going to forget about this fight and this punch anytime soon. And every single time the White Sox play against someone, every single time the White Sox lose to another team on social media, you know, people are going to use this image. They're going to use the gif to troll White Sox fans. Like it's just going to be there. And in my head right now, I don't even know for certainty if Tim Anderson is going to be part of the White Sox in 2024. Like, I don't know if these last two months are like the swan song of his career with the White Sox. I really hope, I really hope that that's not the case. Give us one more year for an opportunity to wash out this bad taste of what has been the last couple of years for Tim Anderson. But that's just my hope is that we still get one more positive impact memory of Tim Anderson because we've been following him ever since he joined the White Sox, Jim, ever since he's been in the minor leagues. That's how long we've been podcasting. And it's been quite the story for Tim Anderson with the White Sox. And this is the latest chapter. I just hope it's not the last chapter. If it makes sense. Yeah, no, it's been a very human experience uh, watching Anderson come up like, um, you know, whether it was just like the flaws in his game of just, you know, how aggressive can you be and still be a major league hitter? And, you know, will he ever shake out the, you know, the error uh, bug that he has in his defense? And then you had the, you know, is his best friend getting killed. And then, you've, you know, you have the rebound from that and his you know, wanting to treat baseball as an escape from stuff and not be everything he gets wrapped up. In. And then like he, 
kind of leads a little bit of a renaissance and with the White Sox and also like just kind of a greater movement. Like he's part of it with Fernando Tatis and others, just, you know, Ronald Acuna of just guys who are bringing a lot of personality and flash the game. And uh, people are getting excited about that. And then now you have, uh, you have this downturn of injuries and just mortality. It's like very much a behind the music type uh, yeah. existence for Anderson in terms of like everything he's been through and just, uh, you know, all the phases that he's experienced and like how people have formed opinions from him based on these moments in time of like, yeah, he was this guy and then he was this guy and now he's this guy. Um, just very different experiences over the course of his career. Whereas like Jose Abreu was basically always the same guy. Like you, you could like set your watch to his production. Like, you know, just you knew roughly his demeanor and, you know, he knew his backstory in terms of like what he'd been through with defection and everything like that. And just what he'd been through with like missing his son. But in terms of just like on field dugout presence, et cetera, just he, you know, very canerical, like I suppose. And just like his, uh, his attitude and such, whereas Anderson's had a whole bunch of chapters and, and, you know, kind of reinvented himself and, in pleasing ways. And then like in this case, you know, I don't think he invented himself. I think this is just, you know, injuries leading to, um, you know, perhaps either early decline or just mechanical um, breakdown that made his very delicate way of making a living with how aggressive he was, like just not work for him anymore. Like, uh, I think when you mentioned his option, like with Rick Hahn saying that uh, we'll find out more about the direction this team is taking for the people in charge, <laughs> you know, come October, come the end of the season, like this is one of those that would tell you like, oh, uh, they are definitely flipping the page on yes. this era if they do. So, I mean, like, that's a case where, like, okay, I don't blame him for saying that because, like, if they do, uh, you know, punt on the option, like, oh, yeah, this is definitely changing the approach. Unless, uh, is this where we should mention the Bob Nightingale column real quick? Fire away. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the. Oh, I know what you're going to mention. Suspicion. <laughs> yeah. Salvador Perez. Salvador Perez and like thinking like, Hey, was that actually a thing? And like Bob Nightingale in the Sunday column saying the Chicago White Sox and Kansas city Royals were engaged in serious trade discussions for Royals catcher, all-star catcher Salvador Perez on trade deadline day before the White Sox simply weren't willing to give, give up the prospects. The Royals sought. And like, if they do, you know, punt the option, Anderson and say, Oh, this could be different unless they bring in Sal Perez, in which case like, Nope, same White Sox just looking for, leadership and culture from the outside. And like, if, if Griffal isn't that popular and they try to bring in Perez, like how are they not going to look at Perez as just a cop? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. <laughs> like, are you wearing a wire cell Perez? Like just, you know, if, if you're aligned with this manager that we don't really care for or just think nothing of, like, how is that going to work? And like, it's an obvious question, but like, we saw with the captains of attitude, we saw with like Adam LaRoche and just Jimmy Rollins and Alex Avila, like, just like, Hey, let's bring in veterans to lead this thing. I don't know. <laughs> like just, and the white Sox tend to reject that because uh, their problems are deep seated. And like, you know, Rick Hahn, you know, complaining about the attitude and spirits, the fighting spirit and resilience of the team. Like, man, this is your, this is the third attitude reset in culture reset you're trying to do even when two postseason games you're resetting the culture for a third time like maybe it's you maybe it's the front office just not knowing how to hire guys yep <laughs> I, I couldn't explain it any better yeah press secretary rick Hahn, 
speaking on behalf of Kenny Williams, who I think, I think Kenny will decide on Tim Anderson's option after the season with Jerry Reinsdorf's blessing either way. If the White Sox trade for Salvador Perez, that's totally a Kenny Williams trade. Totally a Kenny Williams trade. And, uh, yeah, although if Griffal was Rick Hahn's hire, like it's, I could see both of them, like prop my guy mm. up. Mm. A tandem. Mm. Yeah, but just, it, it, but it is, yeah, it is deeply representative of just like how, how the I, White Sox I can't think imagine, and the diminishing returns of how they I can't imagine White Sox fans, like how would they feel? Hey, letting you know, bad news. Uh, we're not picking up Tim Anderson's option. We appreciate all the time and all the memories that he's had with us a month later. Hey guys, remember when we said we're contending? We totally are. We're getting all-star catcher Salvador Perez. Who got into it with Anderson. <laughs> he got the Brad into Keller thing. Yeah. Got into Anderson. And uh, yeah, he's going to help write this ship. And we're, we're expecting to contend in 2024. <laughs> oh, did I mention he's coming from the 115 lost Royals? <laughs> I love this. Although team. the Royals have did win, have like a longer winning streak than the White Sox have had, so maybe yeah. uh, maybe I'll downgrade him to 102 lost Kansas City Royals. Uh, I love this team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it, it is strange just how like you know I I I hate this team in terms of like God like this is terrible like why why do you do this but also like it is it is fun to know the notes. Yes. Uh, of just like know the words to a song you hate kind of like uh you know just ironically appreciating a bad song and singing it loudly in the car like that's kind of what it feels like you know following the white Sox. oh yeah of course and here comes sal perez to fulfill the uh jeff samarja role and like oh i guess i have to be here uh, oh they're calling me a leader oh they're making a fan section for me i don't care <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Salvador Perez catching Whit Merrifield second base, baby. Let's go. Yeah. Kidding. Kind of. Yep. <laughs> the Kansas City Specials coming to a uh, a ballpark near you. Oh, love this team. All right, let's talk about what happened on the field baseball-wise in Cleveland after a quick word from our sponsors. The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It could be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use Game Time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the Game Time app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOXMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game Time. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The White Sox scoring three runs in the ninth inning to shock Cleveland on Sunday helped them win the series in Cleveland, and they went 8-5 and five against the Guardians in 2023. The White Sox are actually 19-17 and 17 against their division foes. They're 26-51 and 51 against everyone else. That's not good. What is good, Elvis Andrews' gym. Now, Tim Anderson doesn't play on Sunday. Andrews fills in at shortstop, and he goes three for five, two doubles. He had the game-winning hit, and in the series, he went six for 12. Andrews had five extra base hits in this series, four doubles and a home run, and he drove in five RBIs. And, Jim, I know a lot of White Sox fans don't see the point of even having Andrews on the roster right now. But, hey. Whereas you have a stake bet riding on the line. I was going to get to that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, if Anderson's going to get suspended, I guess it could be fun to see if Andrews can continue to stay hot because Mm -hmm. it reminds me at least what we saw last year when Andrews joined the White Sox that Andrews has his ability to get hot for a month and when he's hot, he's very productive and it's fun to watch. Yeah, it always like... Um, you know, when the trade deadline passes and it's not just White Sox fans who do this, like every fan, like, oh, we don't, there's no purpose for this guy anymore. Cut him. Like, like there's a reason there's probably like many, many reasons why teams don't do that. Like you don't see like a big pile of unemployed veterans on August 3rd, uh, just being like, well, our teams have no use for us anymore. We're just discarded, uh, just useless toys here. Um, please give us a home. Uh, I imagine there are just a lot of like, you know, whether it's relationships, game planning, defense like I don't know if you want to throw in like overhead rookies to support a pitching staff when those pitchers are trying to provide for their families to speak in Jose Ramirez's uh language a little bit like or yeah Josh Allenson like I I imagine there's like you want to have some kind of skeleton of a team to you know have a structure to just not the whole enterprise falling apart the whole depth chart falling apart and like Andrews, whether it's playing you know, a bad second base or playing shortstop, maybe being the only real solid shortstop with Anderson out like Lenin Sosa. It seems like the White Sox aren't keen on that. Uh, Romy Gonzalez seems like I'm curious. Like I just I haven't thought of Romy in a long time. Like just it's occasionally pops up like, oh, yeah, he's on the roster. But just, you know, for all the White Sox hyped him up, like it's just amazing how little he comes up anymore in terms of like, well, wait till next year or wait just like was you know just kind of shrug and say like oh that was a thing um but like the just you know remillard can fake it at shortstop but not he can't really play there so if anderson's out or anderson's hurt or you know just concussed who knows like you know with the way he you know hit the ground like you know, he, he could have had his brain rattle a little bit and like 
if it's a case where like he wasn't available, sure, you know, good. Like that's that's one thing I think with like Griffal, like you know, lying about Anderson, just like if you just want to get out of Dodge and say like you know we don't have to deal with Cleveland the rest of the year, we can lie for one day and then say like yeah he was concussed, then you don't have to hear about like Anderson being concussed directly from Guardians fans in the crowd. Like I get that, so I guess like my ultimate verdict on like how Griffal handled this might you know change based on the next like 48 hours in terms of how he discusses Anderson if Anderson's you know out for any length of time but like you know if Anderson's out or like you know Makata is banged up like you probably need like a little bit of infield depth there and like if Andrews gets hot sure it hurts like the depth chart but also like you know I imagine just for the pitchers who are trying to get by for everybody who's trying to earn like you know just a little bit of credibility for the team trying to carve out a spot in the 26 man roster next year. Like it helps to have like some semblance of professionalism around just to be able to gauge, like say like uh, Jesse Schultons or uh, like all the relievers they're calling up like Edgar Navarro, Sammy Peralta said, if, if you like have them go up against major league hitters and you don't give them major league defense, like, can you really gauge like how well they're doing? Like Declan Cronin, like, you know, if, if, the defense is making like Oscar Colas grade mistakes of just like rushing plays and looking out of sorts all over the diamond. Like how do you judge anything that's going on right now? So I think it makes sense to have a guy like Andres around. Also, I think just for um, a little bit of, um, I guess salvaging what the White Sox saw and Andres also like what I saw. <laughs> Andres like, you know, for 3 million when they signed him in February, like, oh, he can't be that terrible. Or like he can't, you know, He'll be decent at second base. Like he might be like a one win above replacement, but it helps you know, provide some insulation. And then like him being as bad as anybody in baseball at second base, like, oh, like how'd that happen? So to have him like redeem himself a little bit, even if way too late, shows that like the baseball was still there or like not entirely a mirage what he showed last year to be like an actual major league infielder by the end of the year. Yeah, uh, Andrews has got like a 64 weighted runs created plus. Now, that's before the update on Sunday, so it's going to increase. And his war on the season is 0.1, according to Fangraphs. It's higher than Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson's still Mm -hmm. in the negative. Huge war discrepancy, by the way, between baseball reference and Fangraphs. Fangraphs has got Tim Anderson at negative half a win. Baseball reference has Tim Anderson at negative 1.6 war. Yikes. That... Is not pretty. So I have to kind of dive into why baseball reference really does not like Tim Anderson. But Elvis Andrews, thank you for the false hope in the steak dinner bet. There's no way you're mm-hmm. getting to 108 weighted runs creative plus. But hey, if you're going to get hot and you're going to make it entertaining, I'm here to be entertained. On the pitching front, uh, well, before the pitching front, uh, notable as well, Andrew Vaughn hit a home run off of a curveball against a righty. That's good to see. Oscar Colas hit his second home run, Jim. Uh, so that's good to see mm-hmm. as well. And, of course, Luis Robert continuing to rake, which is great to see. Uh, man, the triple that he had on Sunday would have been a big home run. I guarantee right field, like into the shrubbery in center field. That would have been another homer for Luis Robert. But that was his first triple uh, of the season. So offensively, uh, there are some highlights for the White Sox in the last two games of that series. On the pitching front, we talked about this in the preview in our previous episode. What what are we watching when we are looking at Jesse Schultz and some Michael Kopech? Kopech lost in the fight, 
I thought looked better. I would say it, he was effectively wild. He had more walks and strikeouts against the Guardians, but he was generating a lot of weak contact. And he had a no-hitter going for half of the game. Uh, a very A.J. Burnett style of a no-hitter going on. He wasn't going to be able to complete it because the pitch count was really high. But Kopech looked better against Cleveland. And Jesse Schultz, 96 pitches. That's a career high uh, for Jesse Schultz on Sunday against the Guardians. And he had a rough fifth inning as he allowed three straight extra base hits, two doubles, and a home run that gave Cleveland the lead against the White Sox at that point. But out of those two, when you want Schultz and Kopech, anything that caught your attention, Jim? Well, you know, one is the Guardians, uh, their offense yeah, being... the precursor. Yeah, yeah I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's, a, it's a bad offense, um, especially like with Josh Naylor out uh, and, and him being like their power threats and them selling pretty much at the deadline or kind of thinking more about 2025 or 2024 rather than 2023. Like, yeah, it's, it's um, not great. Like just the way they're trying to um, shadow contend here. Uh, I guess they're just hanging around seeing if like, you know, Minnesota can't get it together, but they're inviting Minnesota to, you know, go on like a five game winning streak and then just pack it in for next year. So like it is that, uh, so when it comes to, like Michael Kopech, like getting weak contact, like is that him or is that the Guardians? Like when it comes to Jesse Schultz looking good, is that him or that the Guardians? I will say with like Kopech, like he threw enough strikes. He did walk guys, like he, but he only like walked two in a row and he had a caught stealing in between. But like his weak contact, like when his fastball is doing what his fastball can do, it's not like Aaron Bummer weak contact where it just like goes in weird places that the defense is never prepared for. It's like ordinary fly balls, it's pop ups, it's, um, just you know bad useless contact that's easily findable for the defense so like him finding that bully fastball and just you know not allowing him to square it up like that is what Michael Kopech looks like when he's good even if he's not facing the Guardians Schulten's like not quite sure like his fastball does seem a little spicier than I thought it would be like I thought he'd be like 92 93 like he's kind of getting up to 95 96 when he needs to at times so that's good to see. Like, it does seem like he likes his slider more than I thought. Like, I thought he was kind of a paint-by-numbers pitcher. Like, I'll go fastballs first, and then I'll use my slider. And then, like, hopefully I'll get to a third time through and use what other, other pitches I have. And, like, you can easily knock those guys off script if they don't really have, like, any kind of, like, oh, I can throw my slider anytime I want, or I can throw my curveball, uh, you know, for strikes and for swings and misses. Uh, you know, it, I thought he'd be a little bit more predictable, but he's shown a little bit more with the slider to get a little bit more out of that. Maybe the increased velocity helps, but like there is, you know, it is the guardians and it is like a case where like, you know, the three straight uh, hitters against him, you know, roping him. Like, I don't think he's invincible or like, you know, in terms of like, he's not going to be like, we're not talking about like a number three or number two starter here, but like as a back end, number four, number five, cromulent option to throw five innings and keep a team, in a game, like maybe like we've got two months to uh, talk about it, but just uh, I, I appreciate that. He's keeping my mind open. Yeah. On fan graphs. So his ERA is at 3.06 now and fan graphs, the FIP at 4.61. Honestly, if you gave, if Jesse Schultz was able to get you 30 starts in 2024 and his ERA was 4.61 for the season, I think it would. I would take it because that's mm -hmm. that's cheap. Because he's going to make like seven hundred fifty thousand, eight hundred thousand dollars, 
next year for the White Sox, I think you take it. What gives me, I'm cautiously optimistic about Jesse Schultz. This was a career high. Let's see on how he ba- how he bounces back in his next start. But he was able to sustain that type of velocity over 96 pitches. That's what gets me concerned is that when you start ramping guys up, how does their velocity play up as they get deeper and deeper into that start? And Schulten's looking at the data from Baseball Savant was able to maintain it. Now, let's see what happens at his next start after a career-high pitch total. Can he consistently throw 90-plus pitches now? That's the big question. But this is what we are looking forward to in the last couple of months to try to gauge and find answers for the White Sox in 2024 and how they're going to build out this rotation. So good job for Jesse Schultens and a better job from Michael Kopech. We'll see how Kopech does in his next start. Yeah, the good news is the White Sox have some off days coming up, like the Thursday and then like it's a double off day week the following week. So in terms of like ramping guys up and pushing them a little bit harder, this is a good time to do it because there are – you know, ways to get like a pitch on five days rest or six days rest coming up to, uh, you know, allow them to text themselves, but also recover. If like, say, Schultz takes the ball next time around and doesn't look as sharp, like he'll get an extra day off or two uh, his next time out. So that's, I think, like a good time to do this. And also like a teaser for our upcoming Sox Machine podcast with Josh going on vacation uh, next week. Like I'll be talking to Scott Carroll, former 29-year-old rookie who took advantage of a you know rotation opening or a couple of rotation openings to throw like 125 innings for a team and look okay doing it. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. Like, and I was kind of watching the Schulten start being like, Oh, I hope he doesn't collapse because like, I want to be able to talk about Jesse Schulten's with another guy who was in his position saying like, what's it, you know, how do you do it when you don't exactly know how good your stuff is? Or did you know how good your stuff is? Or how do you balance, uh, you know, what the scouting report says or what your entire professional career has said you are versus this opportunity falling into your lap and like not being bad at it. And, uh, you know, that sounds like faint praise, but when it comes to like every team needing five pitchers, if you're not bad, it's starting every five days. That's incredibly useful for a team. So that's how I'm going to flatter them. But that's a but I mean, excellent like, strategy. Yeah. But I mean, like, no, it's like that. That's what's interesting about starting pitching is like you have a certain uh, margin for error. And as long as you keep keep your team in the game more often than not, you can find a job with a team. Like that's what, you Mm -hmm. know, is the difference between like Scott Carroll and say like, you know, I'm trying to think of guys from that era, like Eric Johnson or, or somebody like that to where just like, they could not find the, he could not find the strike zone. Like he was out after three innings. Like if you can throw like an ugly five or six and give up like four to five runs, like you might put your team in a hole or it might, you know, you might have blown a lead, but like, a good offense can work with that. Even if it's not a good offense, like you spare the bullpen. So, I mean, like there are multiple ways to make yourself useful as a starting pitcher. And so like for Jesse Schultons, who like seems like he's okay at throwing five innings, like, okay, like that's, that's a skill. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's dependent on some other like tools, like, you know, actually maintaining velocity, like you said, and you know, having uh, enough of a slider to mix uh, your arsenal and, and reorder pitches to give uh, hitters different looks. But like, Hey, there's, there's the foundation of a skill set that is useful for every team. It's just more a matter of like, you know, if your t- rotation lacks upside, he's not going to help that much. But if your t- if your like rotation just needs to try to minimize like holes in the fourth and fifth spot, like, yeah, make yourself useful, Jesse. Let's get to the concerning news. And I've kind of buried this deep into the podcast because I think this drum beat's going to get louder and louder and louder 
and I'm throwing this idea out there, and I have a feeling this might be one of those that catches on fire. It's regarding Yohan Makata, Jim. Mm-hmm. Since coming off the injured list, Makata 7 for 36, 14 strikeouts, 2 walks, 0 extra base hits. Now, he did have that grand slam robbed from him against the Chicago Cubs, but no other extra base hits <laughs> since Makata's came off the injured list. Mm-hmm. Jim, Makata's hurt. Let's just call it what it is. He's hurt. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the White Sox are trying to accomplish at this point, playing Mikata. I'm in favor of the White Sox shutting him down for the season and either let that back rest or get another opinion if he needs back surgery. Mm-hmm. And if the second or even third opinion is, yes, we need to operate on the this particular disc or this particular area of the back, uh, then do it now and give him the extra time to rehab and rest in the off season. Like this is not a major league hitter right now that we're watching for Makata fielding wise. He's making great plays. Yeah. That but that's what I was going to say. It's the, the twisting, defense though. keeps him around. Yeah. It's the torque. Um, but you know, to go back to the whole Elvis Andres thing, like his defense helps a pitching staff that can use help wherever it can get. So, I mean, like he provides value there. It's really tricky with backs. Like, I think back surgery is a whole different animal from, like, knee surgery. Like, hey, you know, get your knee repaired. Get, you know, the cleaned out. Get your meniscus repaired, et cetera. Like, have a whole off-season rest and rehabilitate it. Like, that's one thing. I think backs are really touchy. And if you have to open up the back, like, that just might – you might – uh, I'm thinking like, you know, speaking of Reinsdorf organizations like Luol Deng, like having like a needing a, a spinal tap and just you know, having an infection because like it's just it's bad news when you have to like operate in that area. And the White Sox mm-hmm. or Reinsdorf organizations have had some horror stories like Joe Creedy was another one who like, you know, he tried to avoid back surgery for as long as possible, succumbed to it. But that like that didn't help. So like. I think, you know, were it so easy to say like, hey, get that back repaired, get on the field next March, you're going to be in great shape. But it's just, I think like, I think more so than most other body parts, like if you're talking about, you know, surgically repairing a back, like it just might never come back. So I think you just, you want to keep that as last resort knowing like, well, it's either that or you retire now. I think it's kind oh, of the, yeah. you know, what you're talking about with back issues that like can't heal on its own. So like, I do agree with like, yeah, I, I don't have hopes for him over the rest of the season offensively. I, I think he helps defensively, especially Jake Berger traded like, yeah, I mean, who's, who's going to take those plate appearances in the field? Like maybe Lenin Sosa can come up and play some infield around the diamond, but like that's about it for the roster bowl major league ready or major league you know re- ready for an audition or a uh, second audition for a third audition for Sosa fourth <laughs> I kind of lost count of how many times he's you know cracks he's gotten at it but just like that that's really it uh so that's why I think like yeah just um it, it's tough and it's delicate and like I, I think it just yeah with backs um no matter what this could just be a very you know, his contract is just gonna be something to wait out and it's going to be unpleasant. And they're really like, you can try to try to figure out ways out of it, but there just might, might be no way out of this. Uh, just back surgeries are really, really tough. Yeah. I would like to hear from our podcast listeners and those in socks machine. We do cater to an older demographic. Uh, <laughs> 
everyone's situation. Yeah. Everyone's situation's different. Like I, I fortunately right now do not have any issues with my back, but my concern is it can't make it any better for him and his situation with the back. If he continues to play like two games on one day off, like those two games, taking eight plate appearances, not hitting for power at all, trying to hit high velocity, that torque on his back. Like, can he make it worse before it gets better? Like Mm -hmm. it's a lost season. I'm in favor of just shutting him down. Let him get as much rest as possible rehab and hope that he is at better strength going to the 2024 season. Cause he looked like he was healthy for the world baseball classic and he was producing the world baseball classic, but then he tweaked his back against Pittsburgh and all that momentum that he was building up for this season has just been lost. Like when it comes to uh, the white Sox, the way they've handled injuries, I think this is one of the things where you just can't trust anybody. Like if the White Sox hadn't played like Larry Garcia through his back and leg issues last year and Grandal, if they didn't treat his like entire season like a rehab stint, and if they didn't play Luis Robert through a wrist issue that had him letting go of the bat with the wrong hand, like then you could maybe say like, yeah, Makata can't hurt himself doing what he's doing. Like he helps with his glove. Um, you know, he helps our pitchers out and we don't have anybody take those plate appearances and in innings in the field. So we're just going to take what he gives us and try to minimize what he can't do. And like, sure, like I could see that, but just with the way they've had a blind eye to guys who just clearly shouldn't be on the field. That's where like having no benefit of the doubt. Like I, I don't like wholeheartedly endorse Moncada being out there. Like I can see an argument for it. I can also see an argument against it, but just like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, the White Sox just have, have played so many guys who shouldn't be playing that like, yeah, maybe like maybe he can't hurt himself, but also like there are guys who couldn't hurt themselves. I guess worse, like, you know, Robert wasn't hurting his wrist anymore uh, with his awkward <laughs> swings, but like, can't he was, get any worse. Yeah. Can't get any worse, <laughs> but also like not getting any better, not going to get any better by the end of the season. So like, yeah, just what was it all for? And there is that element of just, resignation in terms of like, you know, what, you know, what are we even watching when we're watching this? Are we watching somebody who's just like deteriorating before our eyes? Are we watching somebody who's just getting by or are we watching somebody who's just like, uh, you know, helping and maybe can help more in a regular off season of rest is all he needs. Like that. I don't know. And the white Sox haven't really done much to inform us of like how much to trust the way they handle players in these situations. Yeah, we don't need Makata to grind through this. We need Makata to heal through this. And that's why, like, I am firmly in the camp now. Shut down Yohan Makata. Figure out, let other people play third base. But I just, I've got this sinking feeling. Him continuing to swing like this, not getting results. It's clear why he's not getting results. Can make things worse before it gets better. All right. Quickly, our last two things in this podcast episode. Let's talk about the next series as the New York Yankees come into town. And man, I I won't say the Bronx is burning, but people are not happy. Yankees fans are not happy right now as they lost again to the Astros. And they're 58 and 54 in the season. They're 12 games back of Baltimore in the American League East. The Yankees are currently four and a half games back of the wild card. The sky is falling in the Bronx. 
And in their last 10 games, the Yankees have lost six of those games. Old friend Carlos Rodon got beat up. And so far, he's been getting beat up uh, in his Yankees tenures. He's coming off injury. It's not been a very smooth transition for Carlos Rodon. But your pitching problems in this series, Monday night is a really fascinating one on paper. It's Garrett Cole against Dylan Cease. And that's a 7.10 p.m. Central Time start. All these games are at 7.10. Tuesday night, it's Yacht Rock night at Guarantee Ray Field. Clark Schmidt will take the ball for the Yankees. It'll be Tukey Toussaint for the White Sox. And on Wednesday night, the Yankees have to figure out who's going to be pitching, but it will be Mike Clevenger for the Chicago White Sox. And talking about the Yankees, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, for White Sox perspective in this episode, we're going to focus more about teams, not the White Sox, but the Yankees, Jim, they are fading. And something that might be in reach is a losing record for the Yankees. The last time the Yankees did not finish above 500 folks was back in 1992. So the Yankees really could use this series against the White Sox as a confidence boost to get them back into the playoff race, Jim. Yeah. The Yankees have been like surprisingly terrible, especially like offensively deficient. Like even when they're running a bunch of like patchwork offenses, like, you know, here's a random Aaron Hicks outburst. Here's like random guys named Mike who are coming up from AAA and they're all, yeah, they're all like 28 years old. And all of a sudden they have like an 800 OPS, even though they've never had like success anywhere before. Like seems like that well has run dry and they're left with like the guys who just can't stay healthy. Like, you know, judge. Yeah. Normally stays healthy, but he's not there. Like Stanton hasn't been a factor. Um, You know, Hicks ran his course officially and just uh, seems like their planning has like left them dry. And like, I've been surprised like how OBP deficient they are. Like white Sox are now, Back to last in OBP, uh, 295. Behind the Royals and Tigers, like the last three, uh, bottom three teams are all AL Central teams. White Sox, then Royals and Tigers. But then the A's. That scans. And then the Yankees. So the Yankees have a worse OBP than the Pirates, who are 25th. And that's like something you just don't normally see. Like, no matter who they get, they're always good, like grinding out at bats and being like, why is this guy so annoying? Uh, this guy I've never heard of, or this guy who's just like playing at Scranton Wilkesbury until like three weeks ago. And all of a sudden, like he's their best hitter and he'd be the best hitter on the White Sox. Like that's kind of what I'm used to. And that magic seems to have run out. The other thing that's kind of interesting with them and speaking of going back to Tim Anderson and just like, um, you know, whether, you know, I guess the intensity of like the blow that Anderson took is like Anthony Rizzo, the way his yeah. offense has degenerated and they've kind of traced it back to the concussion he took and just, how his like processing has just really slowed and like finally seeing like, Oh, there's some actual cognitive consequences. He suffered that weren't apparent like right away. Like that's kind of scary. And so like, I don't think Andrew, what Anderson suffered is the same or I don't think there's necessarily a reason to jump to that, but it's a reminder of like, yeah, brain injuries sometimes kind of uh, manifest themselves in different ways. And uh, you know, maybe aren't, you know, are a little bit sneakier uh, then they let on. So that's why, like, if Anderson's truly unavailable um, and and Griffal had a reason to hold withhold him from the game and just didn't want to make a scene of it uh, in Cleveland, like, I can respect that because, like, Anthony Rizzo is a cautionary tale for, like, taking it seriously. And I think, like, the, the Yankees, by all accounts, seem to take it seriously. Like, they did the whole concussion screening, the protocol. He passed it, but just, uh, you know, I guess he's had a fog that, especially like after waking up, he said in the morning that just um, thought it was just like a grind of the season. It just turns out like his, his processing 
is a lot slower. His pitch recognition is slower. Like he's missing on pitches. And so like it is uh, unfortunate and scary. And like just a reminder of like, yeah, it's take these things seriously. If somebody looks like they uh, they got their bell rung, um, you know, make sure you do due diligence and making sure that they can be out back on the field. That's why I always worry about catchers post-career and just that everything up there, mm-hmm. you know, is right. Old friend, I think it was Tyler Flowers, right? He developed a company to build like the new masks that have the the springs in them uh, so they could take direct hits better and, and cushion the blow. I, I'm always concerned about that. And for those listening and you are new to the Sox Machine podcast, I used to play football. I had five concussions from like eighth grade travel football all the way through high school. Uh, I don't remember my first semester of my sophomore year. I went from like a 3.8 GPA to like a 2.3. I asked out one of my friends and I did not know that I did that until we graduated high school. And she's like, you remember when you asked me out sophomore year? Nope. Mm. (laughs) Like I, I've been there. And it's really scary stuff. And I feel for Anthony Rizzo, Justin Morneau kind of went through this spell too, um, with, with like post-concussion syndrome and just dealing with concussion symptoms. So I, I, I feel for Anthony Rizzo. I hope things get better for him soon. So he's back on the field, but yeah, concussions, head injuries, he really got to take him seriously. And Unfortunately for Rizzo and the Yankees, it just took a lot longer to finally figure out it was this that has been impacting him. So hopefully he gets as much time as possible to recover. But the Yankees, they need a series win against the White Sox. Or I don't know what's going to happen to Brian Cashman. I don't think he's going to get fired. But the the Heat's definitely going to be turned up on Cashman. The Yankees fans are, they're like White Sox fans. They're ready for a new front office. The last thing that we'll touch on, and this is like a new feature for August and September because Jim and I, we love this sport. We love Major League Baseball. And there's still some exciting playoff races that are happening. The team on the north side, the Chicago Cubs, they're claiming one of the playoff spots right now. They continue to stay red hot. So we're going to have this new feature in the podcast called Series of the Midweek. And again, with the White Sox out of it, I think I thought we could pick a series outside of the White Sox that will make the selection. We're going to follow the series during the week and report back in the next podcast episode. Talking with you guys as well. You guys can make nominations as well. Hit us up on social media on what you're going to be watching outside of the White Sox. My pick this week, Jim, Miami, Cincinnati. So some old friends. And what should have been a team to acquire some friends from the Chicago White Sox and the Reds. The Reds are 59 and 55. The Marlins are 58 and 55. The Marlins are a half game back at the Reds for one of those final playoff spots. So that's my pick for the series of the midweek that I'm going to be watching. Are there any other series that you'll be paying attention yeah, to? Yeah, it's weird. I was looking at the series and like I looked at Marlins and Reds and like the Marlins have lost four in a row. The Reds have lost six in a row. So like somebody yeah, has to win. But they're like, it, it's a case of just like, <laughs> Yeah, these wildcard teams, like nobody is really grabbing and, and, and running with it. There's like a big pack of teams that are just kind of hanging around like a little bit, a few games over 500. So like along the same lines, I'm looking at Angels Giants uh, just because like the Angels have lost six in a row and they made a big yep. push. Like Shohei Otani, we're going to, you know, ride this out till the end. And, uh, you know, 
have no regrets about trying to do something while Otani was on our team and maybe even sell him on the case of coming back, even though that seems incredibly unlikely, but just, you know, to do that and then like lose six in a row and, you know, they're playing the giants who are tough and, and, you know, in good shape in the wild card hunt in the national league. Like uh, this would be a time where they have to turn on Lucas Giolito takes the ball like again, and he had a miserable start his last time out. So I'm hoping for a turnaround there, but yeah, I, I have my eyes on the angels because like if this continues, then like, yeah, it's hard to see a path to the wild card. They're seven games back out of that spot. So like they really, I mean, like it's very unlikely that they'll climb out of it, but like, I'd like to see something for the push they made because like, I always find it depressing when like a team tries to win and they make good moves and it should fire up the fan base. And, like nothing happens. And that just justifies like, Oh, you should just pack in and worry about, uh, you know, uh, optimizing your window and worry about draft position and such. Like I always want to see those aggressive plays for towards winning rewarded. So go angels, I suppose. Yeah, Mets and Padres not looking good. Yep. <laughs> Spending all that money. But hey, the Rangers, though, the Rangers are backing that up, Jim, and the benefits of spending and uh, spending a lot. Yeah, Lance Lynn. Texas Rangers team. Lance Lynn has had a couple good starts. I mean, like, the rich are getting richer here. But, like, the uh, it seems like the teams that were trying to use the deadline to give themselves a kick, like Diamondbacks, another one, just not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It happens sometimes, but so Jim's got angels versus giants. I've got reds against Marlins. We'll talk about those series in the next episode, which will be Sox machine live as we recap what happens between the white Sox and Yankees. And also preview is the Milwaukee Brewers come into town uh, this upcoming weekend to face the Chicago white Sox, but that will do it for this episode of the Sox machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening along with us. If you just discovered the Sox machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show. Wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music, we also upload our podcast episodes into our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. If you do watch our videos there, please subscribe to our channel. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine, and I'm at Sox Machine underscore Josh, Twitter, X, whatever it's called these days. Those are also our handles on Instagram and threads. And for our new followers there, thank you guys so much for doing so. And if you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash socksmachine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and when we have new Socks Machine swag, like the I Heart Wild Pitch Offense shirts that you can purchase at the Socks Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, so you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash socksmachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're up for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.